What are you having to drink tonight, Chris? I think I'm going to have a jam session. A jam session. Ooh. Pale ale. This is <laughs> this is by a, um, a company in Noda, North Carolina. Noda. Yeah, Noda Brewing Company. Mm. I think I'm saying that right. Noda Brewing Company, North Carolina. Jam session. Pale ale. It's not bad. I like it. Jam session. We used to have jam sessions. Yeah. Talking on the other side I of the continent. Mm-hmm. Talking on the other side of the continent. Say, in the Michigan area, mm-hmm. fans of Ted Nugent. Oh, yeah. That's actually where he his birthplace was in Michigan. Mm-hmm. But um, you were talking about Ted Nugent earlier. Mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned an interesting fact that throughout his career, he is not known to have done any sort of drugs or alcohol use. Yeah, he was he was sober. Completely sober. Yeah. From your, from supposedly, what, you're, right. supposedly, as hard as that may be and, to believe. And it's kind of, well, you were, ex- explain what you were saying earlier. You know, tell everybody what you were saying earlier that, you know, kind of about how that's, that's kind of bizarre just hearing that. So Ted Nugent was really active in, you know, the 70s and early 80s. So I found that really bizarre because that's kind of a legendary time for bands to be doing a lot of drugs. <laughs> hey, a lot of great music <laughs> comes out of it too, yeah. right? <laughs> that's true. <laughs> if I'm remembering this correctly, he was in an interview. He was asked, is it true that you never really did that? That you never really did a lot, you know, that you never did drugs while you were touring and, and playing music? And he said that he never had to. And so he was kind of asked, <laughs> he was kind of asked to expand right. on this. And he was saying that what when he played music, it was just absolute eternal ecstasy for him. Like, that like was, literally his mu- music was like a drug to that him. That was his drug. Right, music. like that's the way he <laughs> describes it. He talks about music being this thing that like literally right. got him high. And he said, I, I really never needed it. I never needed drugs. Wow. He said, I'd seen what it had done to other people at times. And I just, I, I didn't have to have it because I already had it. I already got my fix. I think about that. The fast, it's a fascinating thing about music. Yeah, so is. to me, so to yeah. me, like what, what, what the fuck did he channel that allowed him to get sky high off music? Like what kind of energy did he create? What kind of what kind of energy did he tether together? Yeah, Think about it. No, Ted Nugent. Ted Nugent was incredible. He's he's an incredible guitarist, and he has some right. really kick ass songs. People love his music, so he has a huge following. There's there's absolutely there's probably millions of people that love Ted Nugent and and would love to go see his concerts. They like it because that music appeals to them. Other people, it doesn't. I'm sure there's people out there who who hate Ted Nugent. Who say, man, I don't, know, I don't, I don't care who he is, his music even sucks. Like they, they just don't like him yeah. at all. So it's interesting to me how music essentially communicates with us. Right. It's kind In of like a ways. foreign language that we understand how it affects us, but we don't necessarily understand how to read it. We don't understand how to interpret <laughs> it at times. It just it, it affects us in a certain way. Think In about it. Ways, you right. like song. There's songs that everybody loves that you that you hate. Mm-hmm. You're like, I, I can't. I just Damn don't, it, I, I just can't don't, understand. I'm not, I'm not having the same experiences. I can't understand right. why everybody likes that fucking song. It blows your mind. Right. Yet, to everybody else, it appeals to them. Mm-hmm. It appeals to everyone else, but not you. So it's interesting to me because something's weird with that communication. Something's just not right that you perceive it differently and don't like it. I'm sure there's like science behind it or whatever. Right. But So why do you think that you were talking about, I remember you were talking about the film. 
Why do you think it was significant that they chose musical notes as a key communicator between the extraterrestrials and humans in the film? Oh, oh, right. You were right. tying that together. I'm sorry, I was trying to feed into that. You were tying into the fact that in that film, mm -hmm. it's kind of interesting that they used oh the extraterrestrial musical notes right the to be how they were communicating between us and the humans or, no, what or was... us to them or however. Right. What was interesting to me was the extraterrestrials were using music as a form of communication. They didn't know what it was to articulate or to create speech the way that we do. They literally communicated through music. So what's funny or through is through sound, right? Right. So what's funny is right through, through sound, through tones. That's how they communicate with each other. It's famous. It's famous. Right. Scene. But anyways. That's what's interesting about that. And what's cool about it is if you're thinking about it, I, I've never looked into it, and I'm sure there's probably deep divers that's figured out all the information there ever is to know about that movie. To me, that signal that the extraterrestrial ship is sending to humans is kind of like a we-come-in-peace signal. Like, that's what you're trying to understand. They're, they're essentially communicating with us, asking, do you come in peace? This is how we communicate. Right. Because think about it. Think about how, how it sounds. Do, 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 do. It doesn't sound ominous. It doesn't sound strange or scary. It, every, every, every note is, is kind of a warm tone. So I, to me, they do that on purpose because it's their way of peacefully communicating. Right. And, it's and the only about, way they think that we can interpret right. anything from them, right? Right. This is the only me. This is the best way we feel we can communicate this message to people who don't understand our language. And in the movie, in return, they repeat the signal. They do that on, like, a keyboard or something. Right. They do the do-do-do-do-do. And then they repeat it back to the... the uh, so now we're connecting, right? Through sound. Right. We're connecting to and one another. And it's like another. we made contact. Okay, so you get it. You get it. Okay, right. you're saying, hey, okay, I, I see you. I get it. Do, do, do. You're responding. Right. It's fascinating. Chris, we made contact. Like, that would be crazy. <laughs> that would be nuts. And, but, and on but, top but do of you that, think that's that would an be the awesome way do you, of how it should so, happen. So if so, let's 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 think for a minute. Let's go into um, um, let's create a scenario for a minute. If extraterrestrials, if mm -hmm. extraterrestrials were to descend down to Earth, do you think that sound or even music would be the way that we would choose to try to communicate with them, or for them to try to communicate with us? Do you think that is the? Do you think the film or that? accurately portrays do you what think would that yes happen? do you think that would actually happen or do you think it would be another means here's here's the thing i'll put in your head for a minute mm. i've also heard that mathematics is a universal language okay yeah yeah meaning that it could be like literally universal like it could be understood mm. anywhere i can believe that yeah you are. so is music the same way is right. sound and music and the way you can manipulate sound and create music, that's mm -hmm. really what it is. Right. Is it in itself sort of a universal language? Well, I, I mean... I mean, I don't know. That movie, again, you know, Encounters of the Third Kind would kind of portray that that is the case. We, right. we have the language, we just don't understand how to use it. We don't, right. we, we don't communicate with it. And I think that's what that movie's saying. The movie's saying that music isn't necessarily... Music isn't just music... It's emotion, and in Ted Nugent's case, it's absolute fucking sky-high right. ecstasy. <laughs> that dude is blasted out of his mind. And I love it, because you see in all the pictures of Ted Nugent, the dude looks fucking crazy. He right. looks like he's lost his mind. And I'm What's like, that, that song you were singing? 
<laughs> Here I go again now, baby. <laughs> like right, a dog right. in heat. Man, right. that's crazy. Ted Nugent man. is crazy. fucking badass, yeah. man. But anyways, the point is, is I can believe it. Like, I believe him. I don't think it's some kind of weird, hey, I'm sober kind of deal. I literally think that he's potentially tapped into some kind of maybe energy or, you know, spiritual whatever. That's like, like he's figured out a form. Of, he's opened a door with, with that form of communication. And it somehow gets him fucking busted out of his mind. And some people love sound, it. Does it make any right. sense? And it connects with some people and some people don't. It doesn't connect. Right, his message connects with others. I don't know, man, that's fucking strange. I don't know. (laughs) Music. Speaking of mathematics. Mm -hmm. Mathematicas. Speaking of mathematics, Mm -hmm. so I was reading an article the other day, and it was talking about some strange, you know, how how I've been interested in archaeological digs lately. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, um... No, there was an article that was talking about some interesting archaeological discoveries. Mm-hmm. And one of them they mentioned was about these um, these dodecahedrons. Oh, the dodecahedrons. They've been found in these, I want to say it's um, in like Roman cities or mm-hmm. Roman, um, different Roman um, archaeological sites that have been uncovered. They found mm-hmm. hundreds of these dodecahedrons. Mm-hmm. And a dodecahedron is basically like a twelve-sided shape. I think is is the way it's yeah. described. A twelve-sided shape. Um, and well, hang on, Chris. One, one one of the easier ways I would say to describe it is envision like a, a board game die, right, with many sides on it. It's oh, very yeah, similar. I, very I mean, there's so, there's yeah. a specific number of sides, but that would right. be kind of the idea. It's right. Got so, it's, so it's a specific shape. Mm-hmm. And the dodecahedron. it has these, you know, specific <laughs> twelve. That's right. It's called a dodecahedron. Uh, anyway, so they f- they found in these archaeological sites hundreds of these dodecahedron shapes, different sizes, mm-hmm. different you know uh, designs on them, and mysteriously they don't understand what they're used for. They don't know why oh, they yeah. created so many of them or what they were. They've had a couple of theories like candlestick holders. Uh, some sort of game that it was mm-hmm. used for some sort of game, but they really don't have any direct understanding of what why there were so many of these maids. Mm-hmm. But when I was reading that article and I I saw <laughs> the term dodecahedron, <laughs> it reminded me it, it reminded me of this book called The Phantom Tobooth. Mm-hmm. And do you do you remember this? I feel like we I talked about this the other night, and you yeah. said you, you didn't really remember the book. No, actually, I, I still don't, I don't ever recall encountering this at all. So, so there was a book called the, it was a book called the Phantom Tollbooth, and I remember reading it in middle school, and I can't remember what grade it was in, maybe sixth grade, yep. and um, there was actually a movie too, or a movie and a play, I think that. Yeah, when we looked it up, it was interesting, right. but in that story, there is a character. Because the story kind of revolves around mathematics and things like mm-hmm. that. There's actually a character, there's a character called the Math. Instead of the mathematician, there's a math magician. <laughs> and he's like a like a wizard. Right. Um, but there's a character called the Dodecahedron. And it's this kind of creepy character that has 12 different faces on yeah. it. Kind of and badass. I, and, it, and, it, and it was weird that it shot me when I read that. It was weird that that was where my brain went. The yeah. only way I recognized that word was in relation to this weird character. From you learned. 
Wow, you learned. The dodecahedron. And I knew what it was through this strange, bizarre story that somebody had written. It helped me understand shapes and mathematics, I guess, to some weird degree. I, this is actually an interesting fact. Mm. The author of the Phantom Toe Booth, um, Norton Juster, actually just recently died. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, I think two days ago. Oh, wow. He was 91 years old. That's in- it's kind of crazy that we're talking about it, and he, the author of it actually just recently passed away. Yeah, that's bizarre. <laughs> the Phantom Toll Booth. Wow. And you said it was wildly popular, right? Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's wildly popular, but I mean, it's well known. It's mm-hmm. a well known book. You can look it up on the internet. It's, it's. I mean, it's a book. I feel like there's been plays made of it. I mm-hmm. feel like there's been animated movies. I almost feel like when I, we were in school, we watched a movie on it also. But, uh, yeah, very, very The Phantom Toll Booth this summer. So, I saw an interesting thing the other day. So, you were telling me not too long ago about a game you had played called The Ghost of Tushimi or Tushima? Tushima. The Ghost of Tushima, I'm sorry. Um, Which, anybody that's, um, you know... uh, likes video games and likes playing like we do. Mm-hmm. It's probably heard of it. It's pretty popular. It was on, I think, the PlayStation, right? It was yeah. a PlayStation exclusive game. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've I've played a little bit of it, but I know that you've actually played like all the way through it or through most of the story or whatever. In most the game. of it, yeah, I haven't finished. Uh, so it. just kind of describe real quickly what what's the story. Uh, this is going to go into something, by the way. This is going to go into something, but describe a little bit about what the game is based off of. What what's happening in the game? Tsushima is an island off the coast of Japan. It's really, right, really close correct. to Japan. And this is set during the, I'm not sure, maybe the feudal age. Is that, Would that be the correct age? The age of the samurai. Okay. And during this time period, the Mongolians have invaded this island of Tsushima. So the samurai live under a very strict code of honor. There's a lot of different things that they adamantly stand behind. And, and they... The samurai have some pretty intense integrity because that's kind of their life purpose is to protect the people. It's one of the reasons people generally liked them or praised them. They were seen as a, they were almost seen as kind of like elites or gods amongst the society. Yes, yeah. I mean, my they, understanding was they, they were treated well. like right because they were seen as being you're, you're almost a martyr for the people. They were the army, right? Right. So in this in this game. The samurai have lost the fight against the Mongolians. The Mongolians have begun to invade the island of Tsushima. And there's a great battle that unfolds, and the samurai lose. And the main character of the game is is kind of like a survivor of this great battle. And after this battle, because the samurai are now in so few of numbers, he decides that he has to actually change his tactics, and he has to break a lot of the code Mm -hmm. of honor. So one of the big things that, that the game emphasizes is like stealth. Right. So the samurai, you know, were so face kind of, me man to man. Right. You look at me, we cross swords. We so, so essentially, we pl- your character has kind of un- figured out that I've got to play the dirty. enemy. The enemy's not the enemy's going to play dirty, right? right. They're not going to be honorable, and they do. The game illustrates right. this. The Mongolians so pull to some them tactics. Is, you know, I have to become them. Right? Do not fit the code of honor, right? And he so, follows that. And he follows that tactic. Hence is the name the Ghost, right? Because you he kind is of the ghost of ghost, and you start taking people out. Right. He okay. kind of employs this hit-and-run tactic. Or, or it's, it's, you sort it's of have a, the option. You can kind of do a little both. Right, right. You can, but 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 again, you're, you're rewarded for playing the game stealthfully. Right. 
So so interesting, though, when you were talking about that game, and I've actually played a little bit of it, and by the way, for anybody that's played it or have seen videos of it, mm. it's a beautiful game. The graphics oh, are awesome. actually fantastic. It's so interesting seeing this game being so close, made so close to the end of one generation of game consoles mm. as we're pretty much on the cusp or have actually gone into a new... The done. A new, you know, a new... Uh, era of game consoles. Right, next generation. But you can really see the transitions of this game because of how amazing and beautiful the graphics are. Mm-hmm. And the storytelling is all incredible. Mm-hmm. The, the voice acting is great. The, the culture that's included in the game is, is incredible mm-hmm. and and very historically accurate in a lot of ways. Um, but, but talking about that game, I actually saw an article that stated that Japan has actually has actually made the creators of the game ambassadors of the real island of Tsushima. <laughs> no shit. No, yes, yes, it's actually real. They because they they did such a good job and they loved the game. Japan has actually made them ambassadors of the actual island itself. The creators of the game. It says Ghost of Tsushima creators made ambassadors of the actual island, the real life island of Tsushima will be honoring the work of Sucker Punch Productions right. by making the game director and creative director of Ghost of Tsushima permanent tourism ambassadors. Oh, tourism ambassadors. Yeah. That's pretty cool, though. I thought there was intense negotiations taking place between Japan and Tsushima. I wasn't sure. It's because the pair, I'm assuming the people who created it, right, right. Um, have spread the name <laughs> and history of Tsushima to the oh, whole cool. world in such a wonderful way. Mm-hmm. This was by the mayor of Tsushima, said this. Oh, it's a cool game. Making them the first ambassadors to be awarded for sharing the name and history of the island through their works. Mm-hmm. Sony will now collaborate with Tsushima Island to set up a new tourism campaign designed to teach fans about the place and its historic landmarks. Right on. That's awesome, man. I think it's, I think it's pretty credible. I think as games evolve, there's so much more in artwork now. Mm-hmm. Than they were. Well, I don't know. I guess game, video games have always kind of been an art. Yeah, they were way. just very primitive. They were they were the paintings on the on the cave walls. I mean, think of, I mean, like art itself, right? You've mm-hmm. seen an evolution in it, and so games itself are very much art. Yeah, I feel like I agree. But you can see that, and people appreciate it. I'll definitely have to pick it up and keep playing that game and try it out more. Now I'm interested to learn more. RoboCop, RoboCop. How do we remember shit like this? I don't even know what that's from. So you were talking about a show that you remembered when we were younger, and it was a show where, or you described it as it was a show where it was almost like a game show, right? Yeah. And these contestants... It was a competition. Right, these contestants... Mm -hmm had like these remote control robots that would fight each other in these arenas. Right. No, seriously, this is a show. So so I remember it as well and I start we start looking back trying right. to figure out what it was. And there's a show called Robot Wars. Robot Wars. Robot yeah. Wars. Robot Wars. And it's literally that. It's this it was a show that came on. It said it was broadcasted on, on it said it was broadcasted on British television, but mm-hmm. I know it was broadcast broadcasted here too. Yeah, but it was a show. I know it started in 1998, so we were definitely younger then. Mm-hmm. And 
went from 2004, and I think it peaked up in 2016 and, and went on. But anyways, it was a show. And, Robot Wars. Right, and it was basically that. These contestants had these like remote control robots that they would mm-hmm. build, and it would sometimes be like, you know, different teams. It'd be like a couple mm-hmm. or a dad and a son or something. You right. know, it would have like these different teams. And they had like blades. Right, and, and they had these kind of like... It's kind of hardcore. That, you know what it reminded me of? A lot of the robots were almost like the Roombas that we have nowadays. You know, the Vikings. <laughs> no, they were a lot of them were like that. They were kind of small, but they would maybe it have is, like added right. features. Like they would have, you know, one would have like a flamethrower. No, seriously. One would have like it a flamethrower. One would have like a big... You know, uh, a sharp, metal. sharp uh, hammer right. thing that it would like hit Smack your hit the other robot with, right. and they would literally like drive these robots into each other and activate their weapons and try to like In pure unadulterated combat, right? And try to basically immobilize right. the other robot. And if you did, that was the winner. But it was kind of <laughs> neat, like, and I even remember the arenas would have booby traps and different things that right. would like try to come up and yeah. damage the robots or flames. Yeah, the environment like changed. a spike that would shoot up mm-hmm. or something that would knock your robot off its wheels and flip it upside down. And it was kind of crazy because it, it sounds like something that if you were maybe in the 80s or something you would you would think is like futuristic. Oh my gosh, you're going to have right. robots fighting each other in these arenas. But it was real. We lived through something like that. I mean, obviously not quite as futuristic mm-hmm. as like Terminators going in there and doing it. Right. But <laughs> well, they actually tried to right. do like a like a human sized one. Really? Yeah, really? It, was called, it was called Megabots. This was a TV show. No, 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 no. It wasn't a TV show. It was literally a, a U.S. company. These these engineers had built had built a giant Megabot, and they wanted to start a league where they compete with each other. You're kidding me. I've yeah. never heard of this. This is real. And they actually, so when you say a mech bot, Japan competed in it. They a mech bot, like so. Like when I'm thinking about a mech bot, or like people inside of this driving it, or is it remote yeah. controlled? No, no, no. There's people. There's people wow. controlling it. So like the American one was called something like um, Eagle Prime or something. Wow. And it it looked like it literally looked like a, a it had like tank tracks on the bottom of it, but it was this giant like control area, and it looked like they were sitting in um, like a jet fighter seat. Somebody wow. sat in the back and somebody sat in the front, and they had like a, you know I, I don't know if somebody controlled the movement and the other person the arms I can't remember how it worked, but the robot actually had like a fucking spike and a like a like a chainsaw and it just never took off it never took off like the Holy fights cow. the fights they were they were way too slow so like when you watch the videos you could see where they had chopped all the fights down and everything oh, was right so it wasn't it, like Pacific Rim right fights, right, right. we want to see we want to see like very I guess we was almost primitive Rim. primitive perfect, early yeah. Megabot fights but it's that's crazy that somebody's trying collide. somebody's right. trying to create that though it's crazy and they tried it yeah and they even competed with Japan and stuff and I think. I think Eagle Prime. Eagle Prime. Versus Rising Sun. <laughs> wow, that's crazy, man. Yeah, man, it's fucking cool. So anyways, yeah, that's... um, But it never lasted. I think they ended up selling the robots oh, and everything. Oh, no. See, I yeah, would, I would love to cool. see something... So, like, now I want to see Robot Wars revitalize again. Right. And, and I want to see... I want to see Megabots fighting. I want to see people driving Megabots. Right. Or, I don't know. They, I guess they could be controlled, but I want to see life-sized... Mm-hmm. Android type robots because I know we have them now. Well, I think one of the problems initially was they. 
I mean, you can't do like real combat. Well, I mean, you real can't, you can't be, kill somebody, right? In the right. Process I'm going to analyze it. the robot, find the control core, however the fuck you would do it, and I'm going to target this specific thing to, to disable this this enemy. Right. But hey, guess what? The cockpit happens <laughs> hey, to be you know the what's spot crazy? where all the magic. What happens. if they expand upon these creations and they actually initiate them into some kind of military use? Could you imagine, sure, like, already mech bot soldiers? Yeah. If civilians can in. make it, oh my our gosh. military can definitely make ah, it. The whole, the whole rest. Right. The whole rest. What's it called yeah. when the military takes over? Like, martial the, law. Martial law, yeah. Right. When martial law is enabled, right. it, it won't even be the military being dispersed. It'll be androids. Obey. Obey or Obey. die. I am just, you know, RoboCop. Right. Or not RoboCop. Uh, no, yeah, Straight. RoboCop. Yeah, no RoboCop judge. has the has yeah it has the rope the the big robot with the rocket launcher right. and stuff. The RoboCop he he can um, permission to execute. <laughs> judge Dredd. That's Judge Dredd, right? Hi, judge child. Dredd. Hey, you know everybody gives gives the second or gives the remake shit, but I think oh. it's actually a great freaking oh, film. It's awesome. Like, I actually really like it. A lot of people thought it was a disaster. They didn't like it at all. But I'm like, no. Mega cities. I love it, man. Like I, I'm not gonna lie. I like the Arnold. Or no, I'm sorry. I like the Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. Version. I mean, I actually like it. It's not bad. Mm -hmm. But like, I really like the remake. I am the law. Great story. Right. I am the law. Yeah, man. Yeah, the remake is is phenomenal in my opinion. Carl Urban. He's the guy who plays the new Judge Dredd. Oh yeah. Yeah, Carl Urban. I'm trying to remember. So the plot is, execute he's purse. actually like, he, it's like a prison lockdown or something, right? No, uh, well, they're they're pursuing criminals out in the streets, but of course they live in this, you know, punk rock, Blade Runner sci-fi future. <laughs> so course, like there's these right. giant buildings that are like, like these mega megaplex apartments. Right. right, it's like layers and layers and layers of apartments and people and all this stuff. So... They pursue these criminals into the mega apartments, and whenever they get in there, a lockdown is initiated, so nobody can get out of the building. It just so happens that that these mega apartments are also crime ridden, and right. they have a lot of you know they have a lot of activity from the organized crime. Right. And so in this movie, there happens to be towards the top layer a woman that's the kingpin of the place. Right, and the whole movie is them surviving this lockdown. So it's basically like Judge Dredd having to fight his way out of this. Yeah. Permission to execute perps. Jury and executioner. Judge, jury, and executioner. I am law. Well, Chris, as always, it's been a good time. Absolutely, man. We'll have to get together again next week and do it. Oh, yeah. Everybody stay true, stay real, stay righteous. <laughs>